Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. What's up, New Life High School? How are we doing tonight? All right. Confession here, it has been since before March 13th of 2020 that we have met with just high school students. Uh, Junior high is great. They're great. But I am very eager just to be with you here this evening. Are you all doing well? Doing well? We got a little bit of snow coming this week. I don't know what that's about. That's April for you though, Easter Sunday, it's like 78 degrees, and then now, let's have a little bit of snow. Hey, if you got your Bibles, Judges chapter 6, I want you to open up there. Uh, I'm going to do it a little bit different tonight. Um, Tonight we're going to hit the fourth major judge in the book of Judges. Um, But in order to do this well, this this judge covers three chapters in the book of Judges. And I am about to sit up here and read you 97 verses. So, uh, usually how I would do this is I would read the text, and then I'll kind of give you a couple points from the text. But how we're going to do it tonight is I'm going to hop around a little bit, but I'm going to read something, then, then give you what we see, then kind of continue the story on, and I can story tell a little bit of the other chapters. But before we hop into this, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. I thank you that your presence is here. And it's among us. And you speak to us. And you care for us. You care for every single man, every single woman who is in this room. You have a plan for every single one of our lives. Um, Speak. Speak to us. Would you come and would you have your way? Uh, So, Father, I pray that you would give us minds to understand and... Uh, Eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. In your precious and holy name. Amen. I think I might have said in all of our wives instead of lives right there, which is awkward (laughs) because none of you are married. Um, But we're going to move on from there. Judges chapter 6. We are in this cycle of sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation. And yet again, we last week we talked about Deborah and Jael and a lot of violence. And so tonight... Uh, we are going to talk about a man named Gideon. Everyone say Gideon. Now, just out of curiosity, at a show of hands, how many of you here have heard of Gideon before? Okay, all right. So some, some yes, some no. Most of the time when this story is talked about, it's actually like this is a pretty gnarly story. In many ways, this is like the biblical version of the warriors at Thermopylae. Like this is like Sparta 300, but just kind of in Bible times. But we'll talk about that here in a se- second. Judges chapter 6. Verse 1, this is what the word of the Lord says. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet again. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So what we have here is Israel yet again falls back into their their old slavery mindset and God gives them over to it and this time it's in the hands of the Midianites. 
And so he gives them over for seven years, seven years, and things get so bad that they begin to run out of their homeland into the mountains and start burrowing themselves in caves and strongholds. Many times when we read the Psalms and we're seeing David on the run from King Saul, it's because he is going to one of these places to hide out. I want you to hop up to verse seven now. We finally have the people crying out to the Lord on account of the Midianites. In verse eight, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Okay, I wanna address something real quick as we see this right here. So instead of raising up a judge in this moment, God first sends a prophet, one who speaks on behalf of the Lord to the people of Israel. And he goes, I wanna remind you it was the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. The 400 years of slavery that you were in, he brought you out and he brought you into this land and he drove out the inhabitants of this land. And you are where you are right now for this reason and this reason alone. You have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. I kind of want to note something. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Victor and I, we did, we did kind of a co-preach and he asked this question and I get this question all the time as a pastor. How come when we give our lives to the Lord and you start following Jesus, life just doesn't become easy then. Or maybe a better way to say it is, how come once we start following Jesus, we just no longer wrestle with any struggles, any sin, any brokenness? You're wrestling with a pornography addiction. You give your life to Jesus and it, you think it's all going well and then the next day, you're still wrestling with pornography. You're wrestling with your body image. You give yourself to Jesus and all of a sudden you should think of yourself in a great way and yet, you still cannot stand your own body image. Why is that the case? And I want you to note something here. 400 years, Israel was in slavery to Egypt. And in a day, God brought salvation and he took Israel out of Egypt. You see this? Salvation came in a moment. The same way following Jesus can come in a moment. But it has taken generations to get slavery out of Israel. Are you with me? You got out of Egypt in a day, but it's taken generations for him to get Egypt out of Israel. Are you with me? You live your life in a way where you habitually do something so long that we'd expect, wait a minute, if I just follow Jesus, all of this should take care of itself. And what we're watching in Judges is the long, slow, the biblical word for it would be a sanctifying process of God changing us slowly day by day into the image of God. And so this, this, this process of sanctification, of walking with Jesus for the long haul, it takes time. Sometimes breaking an addiction or wrestling through depression or getting rid of pornography in your life or substance abuse in your life or the damage that is done by unhealthy parents in your life over a long period of time takes time to get healing from. And I need you to hear me say, that's okay. That's okay. In, in the church, there's not an expectation on you, on me, on anybody to have life figured out overnight. 
And the reason why I'm saying this to you, high schoolers, is because your generation, more than most, has expectation on it to get life figured out pretty quickly. And it's okay for things to take time. And the reason why I say that is because I think when we wrestle for a long period of time, we begin to condemn ourselves and feel guilty for it. You start feeling really bad. You start feeling really shameful for the fact that you're still wrestling with certain things. And you need to see, like, this is when we can start reading the book of Judges and start realizing their story is our story. By now, we're on the, we're on the fourth judge. If you're not irritated, you've not been paying attention. It's so irritating watching Israel over and over and over again every week. And Israel did again, yet was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is our story, and it's okay. We have a patient God. So now God gives a solution. He calls a man named Gideon, Start, starting in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. I think that's how you say it, probably not. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why is, has all of this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of of Midian, I want you to take a, a pause moment real quick and I want you to ask yourself, have you ever felt like this? I love Gideon's honesty right here. The Lord comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon rise for the Lord is with you. And Gideon goes, what the heck are you talking about? He's like, are you looking at the world around me right now? He's like, I'm, I'm beating wheat in a wine press right now because I'm afraid of the Midianites taking our food. He's like, our fathers, our parents, they've told us that you did all of these incredible things in Egypt. Where are you right now? Have you ever had a moment like that with the Lord before? I had this moment probably at least 3,000 times last year. Where we hear everybody saying, God is good. The Lord is good. He is present. It's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And you're looking at the world around you and you're going, are you blind? We have riots going on all over our country. This political season has been a complete joke. I have to wear a mask everywhere. Sports got canceled. School got all to Like, have you opened your eyes? And what I love about this text is this should give us permission to go, Lord, I don't really see things the way that you see them. Starting in verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And Gideon said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to them, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me, all right? This is the first thing that I want to know about God from this text, and that's this. God works with the unlikely to accomplish his plans. I want you to notice two things that Gideon says to the Lord. The Lord says, hey, I've chosen you, O mighty men of valor, to go up and deliver my people. And he says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, 
and I'm the least of my father's house. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least of my father's house. Why is it that God would tell Noah to build an ark in the middle of a desert? Why is it that God would instruct Israel to walk through the Red Sea instead of around it? Why is it that God tells Moses to speak to a rock for it to bring forth water? Why is it that Elijah douses an altar for a sacrifice with water first before he calls down fire from heaven? Why is it that Jesus chose 12 teenage boys to be the pioneers of the first generation to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? Do you see a rhythm in scripture? that God does things more often than not that seem foolish to man. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for what we're going to see later in this story where he says, I don't want you to make a mistake. It's not you who are doing this. It's me who's doing this. It's God who's doing this, who's making this happen. And so I want to note to you, if you are a follower of Jesus in here, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, to follow Jesus does not require strength courage, talent, so much as it requires dependence. Following Jesus doesn't require strength, courage, talent, skill, a hundred years in a church learning scripture. It requires dependence. If we've learned anything from the book of Judges so far, it's that Man is completely incapable of taking care of their own situations on their own. It requires God to step in. God to step in. So what we get to see is our fearfulness is met by his faithfulness. Our fearfulness is met by his faithfulness. And hear me, that's okay. That's okay to be in that place. And I want you to see the first thing that Gideon does. So Gideon asks God to give him a sign... And says, I want, I want you to prove to me that you are God. So he goes back into his house. He makes a meal. He brings it back out to God. And God sets it on fire. And he goes, okay, you're God. I believe you. And then, he said, then, then we, we pick up here in verse 25 with God giving his first command to Gideon. Right here, verse 25. He says, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So the first thing God commands Gideon to do, before he says go take care of the Midianites, he says, I want you to go to your father's tribe and I want you to look at the altar of Baal and the statue of Asherah and I want you to rip them down. Now to give you a little context, Baal and Asherah, these are the two principal gods of the Canaanites. You got Baal, who's the storm god and over fertility of the earth from the Canaanites. And then you got Asherah, who's over fertility of man. These are the two principal gods. Now, it's really important to note this. Israel didn't necessarily replace Yahweh with these two gods. 
What they did is what the Canaanites did. They took a polytheistic view. We have several gods. So they had Yahweh here, and they added to Yahweh Baal, and they added to Baal Asherah. And God's first command to Gideon is, I want you to go, and I want you to tear down the gods and the lordship that you have added to me. Second thing I want you to note here is that God is not interested in sharing lordship with anybody. He's not interested in sharing lordship with anybody. Now, I know what you're thinking. You can sit there and go, yeah, you don't have to worry about that, Pastor. I'm not worshiping Baal in my bedroom. That would be weird if you were, right? You don't have a, a wooden statue of Asherah, like, on your nightstand, just hoping that one day he'll make you pregnant or your future wife pregnant. Like, that would be weird. We need to have conversations after church, right? Like, you're like, I, 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 don't worry, Pastor. I'm not, I, I don't got no statues, no idols in my bedroom that I'm, that I'm dealing with on top of following Jesus. I know that. I hope that. But I do know that we as humanity, even today, are still prone to adding things to Jesus' lordship. You know, the main one that would take precedent in our day and age today is religion. That so often we kind of have this gospel that kind of says this, Jesus will go 99% of the way, but you got to go that 1%. You know that gospel? In other words, Jesus has got to be 99% Lord, and you need to be 1% Lord. We saw Jesus deal with this with the Pharisees all the time in the New Testament, right? They were so strict and so about their religious practices, rebuking Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, you've missed it. You've missed it. I'm not interested in sharing lordship with anybody. He wants all of you, not some of you. He doesn't want to share his lordship with maybe some of your friends. He doesn't want to share his lordship with your worldview on what you think is right and what you think is wrong. He wants all of your life. Lordship all over your life. He wants to speak and be the primary one who speaks to the way you do life with friends. He wants to be the one who speaks and be the primary one who speaks on the way you handle yourself in the classroom, on the field, on the court, with your siblings, with your parents, fill in the blank. He is not interested in sharing lordship with anybody. So he tells Gideon, Gideon takes 10 of his servants, they rip down Baal, they rip down the Asherah, but I want you to notice what Gideon does. He does it by night and not by day. Why? Because he's afraid of what people will think. He's afraid of what people will think. We see this pattern with Gideon all throughout this story. As we move from here, we get this story of the fleece with Gideon. Okay? And I'm not going to read it because it's going to take too long. But we have Gideon who he gathers 32,000 men to himself to go take on 120,000 men of the Midianites. And before he's going to go out to war, he asks God to prove to him that God is with him. So he takes a fleece and he puts it on a hard floor. And he says, God, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to wake up in the morning and if the fleece is wet with dew from the morning and the, the ground around it is dry, I'll know that you are with me and you've given victory into my hands. And so God appeals to him. He wakes up the next morning, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry. And so instead of taking God at his word, he goes, let's just try this one more time. 
to make sure it wasn't an accident. He goes, God, this time on the next morning, I want the fleece to be dry, but the ground to be wet. And if that is the case, then I'll know that you are with me. Sure enough, he wakes up the next morning, the fleece is dry, the ground is wet. Now let me just say this. This is not a way to ask God's will in your life. I'll kid you not. I was eight years old when I heard this story for the first time. I was like, this is genius. I went into my closet. I pulled out a fleece jacket. I waited till my parents went to bed. And I went and threw it out on the front lawn. And I went into my bedroom, eight years old. And I was like, God, if you are real, make the fleece dry in the morning with all the grass wet. And I walked out and it was like half wet, half dry. And so I was like, God, are you telling me you're half real <laughs> and you're half fake? Like, what is going on right now? So many people have kind of taken, like, this is the best way to figure out God's will. It's like, I have Judas, Judah Keys over here, and he's like, do I go to Auburn or UGA? So Judah, take, you know, Judah, don't do that. I know it's Auburn, okay? But this is what we can do, right? So it's like, God, you need to prove yourself to me. And this is what Gideon does. And I want to suggest, God, I think every now and then, because he's patient with us, he appeals to our humanity and he does it. The way he does it with Gideon right here. But more often than not in scripture, we don't see this to be the case. But he gives it to Gideon, but then he calls Gideon into a moment of faith. Starting in chapter 7, it says, okay, Gideon's got 32,000 men. And then this is what the Lord says to Gideon. He goes, this is too much. No, it's not on the screen. I'm going to story tell it. He goes, you know what? 32,000 is too much to take on 120,000. What I want you to do is I want you to bring all the men before you and I want you to ask, who's scared? And whoever raises their hand, send them home. <laughs> so 32,000 come up, he goes, who's scared? 22,000 of them raise their hand, he goes, okay, go home. 10,000 are left. And God looks at Gideon and goes, that's still too many. He goes, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take them down to the river and I want you to ask them all to drink. And he's like, and then I want you to watch those who get down and drink and lap it like a dog in that they put their faces in the water and lick it versus those who pick up the water and bring it to their mouth. I want you to discern the difference. So he brings them down to the river and 9,700 of them brought it up to their mouth. He dismissed 9,700 of them and was left with 300 men. 300 men going down into a, value, a, va a valley of 120,000 Midianites. And this is where we see God pick up the story right here. Chapter 7, starting in verse 15. We have a moment where Gideon was afraid again. He goes down into the camp of Midian. God says, let me prove to you that I'm going to give you the day. So he goes down cloaked. He finds uh, a little campfire with some Midianites talking. And he overhears a Midian, Midianite saying, I had a dream that Israel showed up and just annihilated all of us. So it's, this is the moment we're picking up right here. It says, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand, to these 300 soldiers. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hand of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout, 
for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch. When they had just set the watch, so this is the middle of the night, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars, and they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as, I'm not kidding here, Bethshittah, okay? Don't blame me, it's just Bible, okay? Towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahala by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. It's the only time you're going to hear that word in church. Bashita. Okay? It's a place. It's not something that comes out the wrong end, I promise you. All right? So let me set the scene. You have God who takes these 300 men. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put a trumpet in your right hand, and I want you to put a jar with a torch in your left. And I want you to go down and I want you to surround the camp of 120,000 soldiers. And when I tell you to smash the jar, pick up the torch, scream out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon and blow the trumpet and watch me be God. What happens? They, they break the torch, they sound the trumpet, and all of a sudden all 120,000 Midianites turn on one another and just beginning annihilating the tar out of one another. And I give you an insight into the end of the story. They beat the Midianites, but it doesn't just stop there. If you read into chapter 8, you begin to see actually how twisted Gideon becomes. In his effort to take out the final two kings of the Midianites, he's on his way pursuing them and he passes through two Israelite camps. And he passes through two Israelite camps and he's weary and he asks the Israelites, his own people, to give him some bread. And they go, you haven't finished the job. When you finish the job, we'll feed you. And he looks them in the eye and he goes, I'm going to finish the job and come back and kill you. And so sure enough, he goes, he gets the two Midianite kings. He kills them both. And he comes back to both of these tribes of Israel and he kills their leaders. And then he asks all the people of Israel to give him the gold from their earrings. And he makes an ephod. And all of a sudden this becomes an idol for Israel and the cycle repeats. Nobody ever tells that part of the story with Gideon. We usually end right there. They sound their trumpets. They grab the torches. The Midianites are annihilated. But I think the rest of this story should speak to one fact that we need to pay really close attention to. And that's this final point. That God and God alone works salvation for his people. God and God alone works salvation for his people. Any Israelite telling this story, this story, the only, the only conclusion that you can draw from 300 men beating the tar out of 120,000 would be this. It's that God saves. God saves. And I want to suggest to you tonight that this is actually what we see in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Think about it. 
We have the Jewish nation waiting for 2,000 years for Messiah to come. And their anticipation is that God is going to send this military leader to save their people. And what do we get on Palm Sunday? We just celebrated a couple weeks ago. We get a Jewish man riding into Jerusalem on what? A donkey. From the biblical narrative, this was to say this is an animal of humility, not victory. In other words, he would have ridden in on a stallion if it had been what we had hoped, but instead he rides in on a donkey. And instead of cutting down the lives of his oppressors, he washes the feet of his betrayer. God uses the unlikely to accomplish his plan. He sent the word who became flesh on our behalf. And this Jesus didn't ask you, me, or anybody else to get on that cross with him. He didn't ask anybody else to get on that cross with him. He's not interested in sharing lordship with anybody else. He didn't just take some of the wrath of God. He took all the wrath of God. Can I get the worship team to go ahead and come up? All the wrath of God. And finally, he saves and he saves alone. You know the good news of the gospel is not that when God looks at you, he sees just you. But that the very good news of the gospel would be that you have a God on high standing here with a good Achilles, not a bad one. And when he looks at his people, he would see those who are sinful, those who are broken. And yet when Christ lived, died, and rose again, he would look over and he would see the blood of his son for you and for me. God and God alone saves. This is what I want to invite you to tonight. Can you bow your head, high schoolers? I know usually I'm a lot louder and I'm a lot more energetic and it might be the bad Achilles that's kind of toning me down a little bit. But as I was praying for you today, I felt the Lord say this. They need an invitation to be human tonight. An invitation to be human. And this is what I mean by that. The invitation of the gospel is not that you get your life together and you figure it out better than Israel did so that that's not your story. The invitation of the gospel is to realize that you and I are just like Gideon here this evening. We might have moments of strength. And we're going to have moments of frailty. You have permission to wrestle with doubt. You have permission from the God of the universe to not have your life together. You have permission from the God of the universe not to have your life put together. And I know, I know the culture that you're living in. I know the status quo that you're working to maintain. And I just felt 
with a very strong sense that the Lord wanted us to take a deep breath tonight and just hear those two simple words, God saves. God saves. He's willing to use you. He's willing to do something absolutely miraculous with your life. He's willing to show you how much he loves you. He's not asking you to go take the nations. He's not asking you to carry something that's beyond his strength. He's inviting you to simply be with him. With your head's bowed. Take a moment. You know, I'll be transparent and vulnerable with you guys. Like my, last, my, my life the last five weeks has been like bottom of the barrel. And it's a lot of wrestling with God. It's a lot of questioning God. It's a lot of asking why God, why? And yet the world goes on. And you gotta be who you gotta be and you gotta be a friend to your friends. You gotta be a son to your parents. You gotta be a, a brother, a sister to your siblings. And I just think you need to hear tonight that with God, you simply need to be. Simply need to be. Not one who's putting your life together than coming to him, but just come. Come dirty, come broken, come weary, come tired, come doubting, come wrestling, come angry, come frustrated, come anxious. Whatever it is, he wants it. He's not caught off guard by it. He's not caught off guard by it. He's inviting you to be human tonight. And if you can accept being human tonight, then you can hear these words so much more sweet. God saves. God saves. He's not leaving you to figure it out on your own. He's coming to take care of his son. He's coming to take care of his daughter. He's coming to love on you. He's come to be patient with you. He's come to care. This is what it means to be his followers, that we wrestle with him, that we get mad at him, that we don't know what he's doing, that we're confused and we're real about it. We're not fake with it, we're real about it. And yet his invitation and his promise that as long as you keep wrestling, as, as long as you keep coming, as long as you keep saying, I don't know why, why God, oh why, how long, oh Lord, he's saying, it's okay, keep asking. I'll show myself to you in it. I'll give myself to you in it. You'll find me. Life won't be perfect. It won't be sunshine and rainbows. It won't be whiskers on kittens, but you'll find me. I'm not withholding myself from you. This is not a cookie cutter faith where you put your life together and hope all goes well. It's an act of dependence. So as the worship team plays over you, Here's the deal, junior high is not in here. You can spread out. Find a spot in the room, sit down. I want you to just take a few minutes. We're gonna breathe. I just want you to receive. I want you to know that his intent and his purpose for you tonight was for you to come and be loved by him. 
despite what you carried in with you tonight, a porn addiction, a drug addiction, body image, depression, I don't care what it is. You're here because he wants to love you. He wants to love you. He wants to show himself to you. So as, as the worship team prays over you, worships over you, I just simply want you to do exactly what we said in the first couple worship songs. I want you to abide. Abide, just belong. Let his thoughts wash over you. Let his love strengthen you. Let it fill you. No agenda here. A couple minutes and then we'll come back. Father, we love you. We love you. Drew, can we bring down the lights? Let's just can we make it dark in here. Lord, we love you. And I thank you that you do not just generally, but you specifically see every man and every woman in this room tonight. You see the burdens we carry. You see the struggles that we have. You see the sin that we wrestle with. And yet, knowing this would be who we are in 2021, before the foundation of the world, you decided, you determined to send your son to die on our behalf. So that in a moment like tonight, in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our frustration, we can know that we are loved by you. So Father, I pray even now for my brothers and my sisters, would you begin to break down walls? Lord, I pray those in here who have closed themselves off from you for over a year now, for six months now, who just refused to try. God, I pray you would give them the faith here and now just to say, Lord, here I am. I pray that you would open ears to hear you again tonight. Would you give us a fresh experience, a fresh outpouring of your generous, patient, loving, unconditional care that you have for every single person in this room. Do it, oh Father, come, speak. I thank you that you are a God who saves.
Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.